Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 13 or 14 today. And as we do that, we'll be finishing, finishing up a sermon that was started two weeks ago. And uh, just looking at uh, the final sermon in our series on God and community with an emphasis on unity is into that. We've really been looking since June 9th at what is going on inside of our church family so that we can better be who God calls us to be and evident and obviously that outside of the walls of our church family too. And so as we've walked through that, the things that have risen up is who we are as one another. We, we talked a few weeks ago about we, it, it's hard to get to know each other. I, I read the other day, Pearland is the third fastest growing city in the United States. Isn't that amazing? We were in Waco um, this week. My kids were at a choir camp. <clears throat> and they were in Waco, so I drove up Friday, and we saw the concert yesterday and came home, and I was visiting with uh, a couple. We went to an ice cream um, place. That's how my wife knows I love her, as I take her to ice cream, and so went to ice cream, and they said, well, where are you from? We're just outside of Houston. Said, oh, my sister lives in Houston. What city? We said, Pearland. She said, I don't know what Pearland, that's, that's different. So we started describing it to her, and uh, I said, here's the funny thing, because I looked it up. Geographically, Pearland is literally half the size of Waco in our footprint, okay? So Waco is like 95 square miles. Pearland's like 42 square miles. Population-wise, we have the same number of people. Isn't that amazing? Let me process that for a second. Isn't that wild? Pearland has the same population as, as Waco, with half the, it is, God is doing some rapid changing, and, and we've realized that as a family. When we talked about a few weeks ago, that 70% of our membership is new to First Baptist in the last four years. It's, it's obvious, we, we look a whole lot more like our community. And what happens when, when, that, when that comes in? When everybody starts moving in, it's very easy to lose that connection. And so we're really going to be focusing on how does God call us to be unified? And we, we said, first of all, we have to understand it, it has to do with doctrine. We're unified around a solid doctrine that's scripturally bound and given by not God, not, not replicated by us. We, we talked about that. We talked about our, our place and our environment. And we've been talking about our, our purpose. And a few weeks ago, we started Ephesians chapter 4. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you of the Lord, walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. Now this is a passage specifically to those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's master over their life. And so this, this passage is talking to Christians. And it says, live in a way that lines up with the vocation that you have as a Christian. As a believer, you have a vocation. And that vocation is to call people to Jesus Christ. That vocation is to be an ambassador, to make disciples. That's the vocation of every believer. That's what defines us. And so we want to live in a way that lines up with that. And, and last week we kind of took a break and we looked in, in Acts a little bit. In Acts chapter 21. About how, how does that look? How does that flesh itself out as we look into the life of Paul and the early church? And, and this week we want to tie that back together. Because we can't miss living in line with our vocation. 
And knowing that our vocation, what God's called us to, means that he has made a place for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I I, I think that you need to hear this as loudly as anything else in this world. That God has a place for you and has called you purposefully and made you intentionally to live and to walk with him. I, I would tell you that place and purpose is probably the biggest issue in our world today. We, we, see, we see all kinds of things in our society breaking down because people want to know their place and want to know their purpose and they want to be assigned to them or affirmed in them. And, and because people are trying to assign our own purpose to ourselves and instead of looking to the God who made us to say, Lord, what did you make me for? We are coming up with some of the most crazy things regarding purpose and place and identity. I was reading an article on marriage the other day, and a lady said, I want to be married, but I can't imagine someone satisfying me for that long. And so whoever I marry needs to know, I don't know how long it will be for. As if marriage was simply about self. And I thought, how interesting we start to look at this. We just want to define everything by our, by our own personal attachment, our own personal purpose. You know, when, when my kids were, were little, Ashley had a desire of what she was. She assigned herself a job. She wanted to be an aerospace mechanic when she grew up. Now, that's amazing. I don't know what they do, but I assume they fix stuff in the air. But she just wanted to assign that to her. Here she loves singing. She loves people, all this kind of stuff. And just aerospace mechanic was on her mind. And when we laughed about it now that as she's grown and matured and had people invest in her, the Lord started to open it up. Now God's called her to make a difference in our communities and being a, being a teacher and this and that. It's, it's amazing how when we expose ourselves and say, God, what do you want for me? He often unpacks our life so much grander than we could ever do on our own. And church, I want you to know this is true for me and you. Now, I brought some tools today, some, some stuff here. So I'm going to grab it so I don't have it just sitting out here the whole time. But these are two of the tools from my garage. As we're talking about purpose, this is a, a hedge trimmer. Some of you know what this is? You got a hedge, my son was asking me why I was carrying a chainsaw into church today. I said, well, some people have been acting up, son. We're taking care of that. And, and these are, are pruning shears. Now, now, let me tell you what they're for as we get rolling around. For most of my life, I use these to trim weed eater cord. Amen? Because that's weed eater cord replacement's the worst thing in the world. So that was this primary tool. And this tool was for everything in the yard. Some of you have gone out into your yard with this thing, haven't you? Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor, how old is that? Don't ask questions. I think I stole it from my dad before I got married. But... But, but let me tell you what hedge trimmers do. And I didn't really understand this until about four or five years ago. No kidding. Hedge trimmers trim the new growth off in order for the shape to stay maintained. So once you get your hedge or your bushes looking like you want them to look, you take one of these bad boys and every year you cut off the new growth and you trim your hedge. Now, I noticed something the other day at my house. Believe it or not, not counting two holly bush hedges in front of our house, I have 62 shrubs in my yard. It's the worst idea I've ever had in my life. Next house is rocks. But if 62 shrubs, 
and I haven't done anything to these shrubs because they're little Indian hawthorns for almost four years. No, no joke. My neighbors do not like me. And so I looked at Google Maps at a picture of my house, and I thought, that yard looks beautiful. And then I looked at my house, and I thought, that's not the same yard anymore. I've neglected it. It's kind of grown over. So I went on YouTube, and I, I'd, I'd learned how to do some pruning and whatnot before, but I wanted to see if there's a quicker way to do it. And the guy said, oh, here's what you do. You hake your hedge trimmers out, and you just shove the top off. You cut the bottom. It's like Hacksaw Jim Duggan doing yard work. He's just destroying these plants. And, and what it did, when he cut them down, all it revealed was bareness. Because here's what happens with your shrubs. When you and I go into maintenance mode for what we want... And we start trimming our shrubs out to match the shape that we desire. All of the life is on the outside. So if your plant is 100%, about 20% of your plant experiences life and growth. But what happens when you cut off that thin layer on the top and the sides? You see starvation. You see death. Inside your shrubs, there's nothing. And so a few years back, we went online and we watched how to prune mature trees. Because we, we want our stuff to stay mature. We want big plants. And so what you have to do is you have to take a pair of pruning shears. This is it. Maybe you've got nicer ones, but shears like this. And you find one branch and you follow it all the way down to where the last green is growing underneath. And you snip it. And you do that all of the whole plant, literally per plant, depending on the size of your plant. For me, it takes about 20 minutes per plant, 62. It's going to be all year long. You're welcome to come over if you've got a pair. All the way down, and you trim each one all the way down to the lowest green possible. And what it does is it thins out the shallow growth so that sun and water and life go all the way to the center of your plant. So life starts building from the inside out again. Your plant starts becoming beautiful all the way up the branches, not just on the shallow stuff. Now, some of you, you have to listen to the sermon because you're going to go home and you're going to try this. And that's okay. But, but I want you to know this is something that we need to be aware of. I believe when you and I are fighting for our own purpose, when you and I are trying to, to do that, the best that we can do is look at our neighbor's yard and their hedges, and we try to do the, the same thing. Maybe you went to Disney World, and you're trying to make the ears and all that kind of stuff. Whatever it is, you're, you're just taking the tool that you use to try to make yourself look like the best thing you've seen. Because that's what hedge trimmers do. Their job is to maintain and try to replicate. Now, if you try to shape your tree, and you've never shaped it before with hedge trimmers, guess what's going to happen when you make Mickey Mouse out of that square hedge? You're going to expose death. You're going to expose neglect. But shears, you don't get to shape your tree. You go down where life is, and you trim off the shallow, and when you stand back, it looks natural. It looks beautiful. It's amazing. See, God doesn't just have a purpose for some people on the top of Christianity. Jesus Christ doesn't just have a plan for the shallow 20% of those he calls. He has a plan and a purpose for everyone in his family tree. And with something that we must do individually 
is we need to say, God, my branch is so flourishing. Lord, do you need to trim some stuff off of me so that life can fill your bride? Now, I don't know. I, my plants don't talk to me. If you're a plant whisperer, we can talk later. I can give you a number of a good psychologist. But I can't imagine that pruning doesn't do anything, but it has to shock the plant initially. You know what I mean? It's got to shock it when you cut off something like that, especially when there's life on it. It doesn't even make sense to cut off the pretty. But the pruner is thinking of the big picture, not just one person. Church, the world wants you to believe, our sinful nature wants you to believe that if you're not on the surface of what God's doing, if you don't have a name, if you don't have this ginormous call, then God doesn't have a plan for you like he has for other people. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says it's hogwash. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Look with me in your Bible. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, this is important. Knowing that God has a place for you. He's talking to the church. He's talking in the verse 4 through 1 through 6 about you and I all having a, a purpose and we're building towards unity. There's one bride. There's one body. There's one spirit. You have one call as a church. He says, but individually... Christ has given grace to each one of us according to himself. Now, this is important. The grace that he extends to you is not salvific grace. That's not what this type of grace is talking about. He does extend a saving grace, absolutely. But this grace that he gives out, he doesn't give a little bit of salvation here and a lot of salvation here. Or Man, I know your story. It's a whole lot of salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the grace that is meant to be used for your vocation, for your calling, for your ministry, and making disciples and being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is God has given you a specific measure of grace and equipping. And it's just right for you. How do we know it's just right for you? Because it's given according to Jesus Christ. In other words, your creator who made you, who designed you, who made you purposefully, who made you who you are, beautiful and amazing, who then gave his son to redeem you, he says, I'm, I'm equipping you with just exactly the grace that you need to be a part of this vocational calling to make an impact for the kingdom of God. From the greatest to the least. That's why he says from each one of you. For each one, from the greatest to the least, every single one. Church, I want you to understand this. I don't care what age you are, if you are walking in Christ Jesus at seven, or if you are walking in Christ Jesus at 77. It, it, your age may change, your environment may change, your life may change, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as long as you are on this side of eternity, and you're not stepping into the day where you are seeing him fully, I want you to know he has made a place for you and you may find yourself beneath the hedge and it's comfortable. The rain doesn't hit beneath the hedge. The sun doesn't irritate beneath the hedge. 
But Jesus Christ didn't make you to live below the hedge. He has a place for you to bear life, to bear fruit, and to bring life. And that will only happen if you understand that God has given you just the right amount of equipping. The perfect amount for you to have the perfect place in his body. Church, the Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and to his excellence. Here's what Peter says, the same thing. God has given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. All that you need. All the knowledge, that all, all that you need. In Christ, you have access to it. In, in Christ Jesus, he has given you what you need. You might say, Pastor, I, I don't speak well. I don't cook well. I don't play an instrument well. I, I, I don't, I'm not really a greeter. In fact, I'm kind of a groucher. Whatever. So, so I can't imagine what God wants for me. I just am supposed to come and, and just be moral support for all the people that you're using. Church. Just because you can't think of your place doesn't mean God has stopped making a place for you. You see, God has already given you all that you need. He's already made a place for you. Could you imagine? You just picture, I'm going to go quickly towards the end and we'll come back again. Could you imagine what the church would look, what our church would look like if the hedges were pruned back and every single believer that gathers together in this family or to understand God has gifted me uniquely with just the exact measure of grace that I need so that I can be a part of the kingdom of growth in this community. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine the fruit that will be born in your neighborhood? The fruit that will be born in our relationships? Could you imagine the way that hell would start becoming starved? Because the fruit of life produced in our family is quenching every need. Could you imagine? Could you dare to believe that that's God's absolute plan for you? I know a lot of times we want someone else to say, I have a need. But listen, outside the Holy Spirit... I don't know, and other people don't know how God has gifted you. He does. He's putting a burning and a yearning in your heart. And you don't need to be jealous of someone else's gifting. He's given them the right gifting for them. He's given you the right gifting for you. It's not a competition. We're all part of that same tree in Christ Jesus. He has gifted you with the proper grace that you need according to his knowledge. Now, Paul went out of his way because he wants you to know how important this is. This grace is not cheap. This grace is not wanting. The good news is found in the next verses, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Read your Bible with me. Therefore, it says, when he, this is Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the all the heavens that he might fill 
all things. Church, your grace, what God had given his son to fill you with, was not cheap, and we can't cheapen it. That, that's why the Lord includes this part in. He says that Jesus died, he overcame death to go and set the captives free. When, when the Old Testament in war, when God's people would go to rescue their people, you can think all the way back to Genesis, Abraham had to free Lot. He'd been captured along with the spoils of the king of, of, uh, of Salem. He'd, he'd found all of his stuff. And so Abraham took all of his men and he captured people and he brought his people back and he took the spoils away from those who were capturing his people. And here's what he did. The king of Sodom said, hey, listen, I want the men. You can keep the stuff. He said, why would I give you, why would I keep your stuff and let you keep the hearts, the men and the women? He said, I'm going to give men spoils of war. Those who've been captive, I'm going to bless them with the tools they need to get back on track in life. And you can keep the rest of your garbage because God gets all the glory. You will never say that his riches or our victories come from you. You see, the captives were the only one to get gifts. The king didn't keep any. Abraham, so to speak, he didn't keep any. What God says is that Jesus Christ... He knew you and I were slaves to sin. He knew you and I, lost in our own sin, would bury ourselves deeper and deeper in sin. And so he sent his son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for your sins so that he might set you and I free. And when he set you free, he didn't set you free so that you might turn away from him and go back to the chains of your sin. Or worse, to bring your sin and intertwine it with his beauty. He says, leave it all behind. I'm giving you gifts. I'm making you new. And that, that's our, our memory verse for this month, right? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is lived by faith. In whom? In the Son of God, who gave himself for me. You see, church, Jesus Christ died and overcame the grave to set you free so that you might not be a slave to sin, but so that you might flourish. He didn't set you free so that you can go into hiding until one day he returned again. That's not, he didn't die for cheap grace, he died to change eternity. And so in that, it goes a little further, and he says, well, how? How will, how will this happen? What do these giftings look like? In your Bible, go to verse 11 with me. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. In this case, these are leadership positions, but these are all giftings of the Spirit. These aren't positions bestowed by man. I, I want to let you know, I didn't become a pastor because someone gave me a title and a, and a pulpit to stand in. I'm a pastor because God gifted me to care for others and to preach his word. Whether I'm standing here, whether I'm sitting at home, whether I'm driving down the road. That's what God's gifted me to do, so I'm going to do it. In Romans, in other places in Corinthians, God says, listen, absolutely, some are pastors, some are teachers. 
Some are encouragers. Some have the the gift of help. Some the gift of administration. God has made all of these people to bring the body, to build the body, to make it strong for his glory and for his purpose. God has gifted each one of us to play a role and a part specifically in his plan. And if we don't use that, if we don't use that, we become like the inside of of my plants. Now, I told you my plants are small. They're all Indian hawthorns. They're about this big, and now they're about this wide. Once you start pruning back, you start to find out there's a lot more death inside there than you thought. It's not just bare branches and the ends getting life. It's that these things have lived in the darkness even after they sprouted to life so long that they literally are just death hanging around until everything ends. Jesus Christ did not die so that you could live in death until he returns. He overcame the grave so that you might have the gifting in order to accomplish your vocation. And what is your vocation? Verse 12. He says, let me spell it out differently. If if you missed it earlier, let me follow you back in. It says in verse 12 and 13. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is Christ's master plan. What is your gifting to be used for? It's to be used to equip. The saints, if you are doing everything on your own and you find yourself on the outside of the shrub saying, God, I just want to be beautiful. I hope they can be beautiful too. Let me tell you what, you're not equipping the saints. You're wasting the grace of God. Stop. Prune it back. And then in that pruning, let your life be focused on those who need life. Not just on how beautiful everybody can tell you you are. You see, I have that plant in my yard too. I have this amazing vine. Do you have this vine in your yard? It grows underneath all of my other plants. And it comes up and it takes over the plant. But in the summer, it blooms beautiful purple flowers. It's gorgeous. And in the fall, when it dies, do you know what it exposes? That it has killed the plant. I've lost three bushes to not paying attention to this vine. That looks life, life, but all it's there to do is to take the glory away from the creation. God has not called you and I to receive the glory. He's called us to give the glory. And we give the glory when we equip the saints, when we help others so that they may carry out their vocation too. And if you and I aren't equipping others, then we're not carrying out the vocation of Christ Let me say that again. If you and I aren't pouring into somebody, then we are not being the disciple that God made you to be and called you to be. Let me say that differently. If you and I aren't investing spiritually into other people, we are in disobedience to Christ and are suffocating the life that he's calling to give. Do you see what you were made for? Do you see what our mission must be about? God has called us for the fullness of Christ, for the whole church to grow into that fullness. He says it's for the equipping for ministry. It's for the building up of the body. When do we stop? 
When do we get to take a break? When does it not become important? The Bible says it really clear. Here's your stopping point. For those who need an end, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, a mature manhood to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ, that's when we stop. When everybody is fully mature up to the measure of Christ, that's when we get a break. Church, I want you to know that only happens on the other side of eternity. That, that, that's when we stop. It, and the beauty is, is that God calls it to be a joyful calling. A beautiful calling. My, my, my kids have gotten into Frisbee lately. Let me tell you what. My son played soccer. I, can't, I can run with him for like eight seconds before I need like an a oxygen mask. But Frisbee, I can stand still and toss a disc all day long. It's joyful. Anytime he asks, it's joyful. The things that make us full are not a burden. In fact, mom has to call us in for dinner. Have you ever been called in for dinner? This is the call of Christ. He has made a place for you, and that place is revealed in his gifting for the purpose of equipping others, of building up the body, others, until everyone is strong in Christ. And it's not a burden because it's a joy. Because when the inside of that bush starts to flower, you realize the beauty of it is way deeper than you ever dreamed or imagined. And you want it more. This is who you and I were called to be in community. Any other definition is outside of God's word. So here's why. Here's why. The Bible says this way. He says, so that we will no longer be children. Verse 14, tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness. Deceitful schemes. Says, God didn't make you to be unstable. Going with the fad, wondering if someone was speaking a half-truth or a whole truth. God didn't make you to question your place in this world. God didn't make you to just be blown around by modern theology. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped. Man, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the church. And I don't know how you walked in this room today wondering what in the world God would ever want with you. Listen, God doesn't want what you have. He wants you to bear the fruit that he's given. So look around you. This is our shrub. And it needs to flower. Look around your neighborhood. Has God calling you and gifted you specifically to help them bear life and to know freedom? We're the church. And on this rock, we're going to storm the gates of hell. 
and life will be found. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we come to you this morning knowing and believing and and holding on to your truth. Lord, I, I know we have a world that says you have to make your place. Or Father God, even worse, these odd doctrines, these weird new beliefs, they woo us in to a false community, to fake fruit. Lord God, I want to repent. Lord, your church for too long, we have acted like we are a hedge with just a few people protecting everyone else. Oh Lord, we have squandered your giftedness. Lord, would you break us of that mentality right now? Lord, there are some in this room that are captive to that thought right now. Lord, you have made them for one purpose. So, Lord, show them your your gifting. Show them how sweet it is, how beautiful it is. So that they may equip the body and build up the body for the work of the ministry. Lord God, let us run that race together. And if there is any woman or man or, or child in this room, God, that has never known life, that has never heard that you gave your son, God, to set them free from the chains of death so that they may know life and freedom and joy and obedience to you, God. Lord, would you this morning open their heart up to say, God, set me free. Jesus Christ, I trust you. I believe in you. Set me free. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.